thankful for salvation this morning. Amen.
thankful that our fear does not stand. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
praise to him this morning. Yeah. Oh, you are good. Sing it, church. You're good. Oh, you are good. for your presence this morning. We worship you, O oh God. Lord, we're humbled by your greatness. Humbled, O oh God. We magnify you. Can we just lift our hands this morning? For some of you, you may be asking, why do we lift our hands? Why do we wave them? Why do we extend them? The analogy that I put at times is I remember when we were in Chicago and cell phones were coming out. <laughs> I remember a lot of these teenagers and these kids would have these cell phones and they thought they were the coolest things. But yet they weren't activated, but they'd pretend that they'd be talking to somebody on the phone because they just wanted to be cool, you know. They'd be talking and there's nobody on the line because it's not activated. And I feel like that's with us in our spirit sometimes that we're just not activated, but when we lift up our antennas to God. Say, God, I want you to activate me this morning. And I just pray that that's our heart today. Maybe this past week, this past couple weeks, past month, past year, in your spirit and in your life, you may have felt a little deactivated from God. But this morning, God is wanting to lift our hands and he's wanting to activate our spirit. Amen. So can we do that this morning? God, I just pray right now that you just come and stir up a fire, stir up a passion, stir up a love for you. Lord, as we lift our hands this morning, oh God, Lord, we pray that you just come like a mighty rushing wind and just blow over your people this morning. Breathe breath of God. Not for a minute were we forsaken, Lord, but we believe that you are in this place. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I can't go back to the beginning. control what tomorrow will bring but I know here in the middle is a place where you promised to be not enough unless you All you are. 
yesterday it was cute but not so cute I was sitting on our countertop in our kitchen and Eden our two-year-old came up to me and lifted her hands for me to lift her up and put her on the counter with me so I went out and I reached out my hands and she just playing she just turned and ran and then she came back and I said no <laughs> I'm not going to attempt to put my hands out again, and you just reject me. <laughs> and I could tell I hurt her feelings. And she kind of went away, and then she came back, and then I put my hands out, and she came. And I believe sometimes we do that to God, amen? Well, not amen. I don't want to do that to God. Many times we go to God and say, God, here I am, and then he offers what he's extending to us, and sometimes we're just like, oh then we realize that we are but just mire clay. We are nothing without Jesus. And we realize, yes, we need you. God, here I am. I need you, Lord. Let's sing this song together. Yeah. 
ashes, a new life is born. Yeah. Jesus is calling. Come on, sing it out. Oh, come to the altar. And the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was part with the precious blood of singing. Oh, come to the altar. And the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was part the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Right where you're at, you can make an altar. They say, God, here I am. I believe that you bring forgiveness, oh God. Lord, you bring the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, oh what a Savior. Can you sing this with me? Is it? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Do you believe that this morning? Come on, sing. Bow down before Him, before He is Lord of all. Oh, we sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. this morning. Come on, somebody praise him. Come on, praise him. We were 
Hallelujah. Lord, we're so thankful that you've come and heard our praise this morning. Lord, I pray right now that we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, but more importantly, may we open our hearts to receive your word. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, I'm thankful for Jesus this morning. Amen. How many of you are glad for but God moments? How many of you are glad for that? Yeah. My, uh, am I on? Check, one, two, three. Can you hear me all right? There we go. Oh, that, that felt more anointed right there. I just, <laughs> I'm going to try this again. How many of you are glad for but God moments? Yeah. Man, I'm glad for but God moments couple of things that I just want to highlight this morning just for a moment. One is people have asked about Pastor Appreciation Day, and I've been asked to announce that the board will be making a presentation next Sunday. If you have questions about that, you can talk to a board member or contact Linda Cachette. But I wanted to take the opportunity since I had announced that and just tell you personally how much I appreciate our staff. We have the best staff in the country, and I love every one of them and am so thankful to God for the team. Go ahead, give them your support even this morning. Coming up shortly, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, October 28th to 30th, three nights, six to eight, is our Flix Train Trunks and Treats night. And uh, we still need help with that. You can log on to our website and register to help. Here's what it's gonna look like as cars pull in. We'll have, our goal is to have at least 10 cars with their trunks open. And then we're going to give candy out of every trunk. The plan is to have a, a bin full of candy, gloves and a mask that you'll be wearing, and a spaghetti scoop. And flip it into their bag. If they don't have a bag, they'll give one. Some have, uh, it's been suggested and offered to do like a shoot. We're exploring that as well. 
But that's what it's going to look like. Ten cars in the back, and then they'll have to ride the train, watch some movies, and just have a great time together. And we need your help for that to happen. So if you've not signed up and want to help us, go to the website or send us an email or a text, and we'll be glad to get you involved in that night. Uh, I have been asked, can we make our own bags? No, we're not doing it that way because of COVID. We need to do everything in-house. I hope that makes sense to you. And uh, just keep filling that keep filling that, uh, that barrel out there and appreciate your help with uh, providing candy. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 7. And I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. This chapter is full of stuff, and it's going to be a little bit tedious getting through it. So don't worry about it as we go through it. At the end, I'm going to try to bring it all together. And if I don't do that by the end, that's my fault, not Scripture's fault. So try to stay with me through it. I think one of the things that we have to learn to do as children of God is preserve the blessing of God. It's one thing to experience his blessing. It's another thing to preserve the blessing of God. Some people only know how to live in trouble. They have to have pressure, something wrong for them to get up in the morning and can lose their traction when they're living in the blessing of God. So once you win a victory, we have to learn how to live in the victory. Is that making sense to you? We have to learn how to do that. When I was in uh, Bible college, uh, this may shock you to discover that I was um, pretty given to horseplay. I, how many know what horseplay is? That has nothing to do with horses. And uh, I was home for the summer, went to church in the morning, and we had a, some kind of a picnic in the afternoon, and one of the high school kids, a uh, relative, a nephew on Carol's side of the family was being kind of a smart aleck, and we got rustling around, and I was going to show him that uh, I still had it over him, and we're rolling around, and we went down, and I landed on my shoulder, and something popped. And I couldn't, I couldn't raise my arm. I mean, it was excruciating pain. I went to church that night, and God began to deal with my heart that he was trying to teach me something. And if I didn't learn how to grow up, he was going to grow me through pain. But it was really clear to me, if you weren't messing around... How many parents have said, if you weren't messing around, you wouldn't have gotten hurt? And I felt like God was saying that to me. And then the strangest thing, uh, the scripture came to me, and it's a terrible thing when you have scripture memorized because God can use it against you. <laughs> Confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, they may be healed. And I felt like we had testimonies and prayer requests then, and I felt like I had to do that. And I stood up and talked about how God had been dealing with my life, that I'd been goofing around and I've done things I was ashamed of and, and asking God to forgive me. And then I quoted that scripture and said, I believe that if I'm prayed for tonight, I've confessed my failure, that God's going to heal me. And so I walked forward and asked the elders to anoint me. I kind of took charge of the service, didn't realize it at the time. And they came around and anointed me with oil. I'm telling you that pain instantly left. I raised my arm over my head, waved it back and forth. It was completely gone, and I was so excited until the end of the service. And it came back with a vengeance. Now, you could say it was emotional. You can say whatever you want, but I'm, we're at this. Then there was another gathering that night, a bonfire afterwards, and people are coming around saying, well, that was a great testimony. So glad. I said, oh, yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I, and I couldn't move it. And I said, God, why? Why did, you, 
why did you touch me? And then it came back. And he said, because if I make the victory too easy, you'll go right back into the problem. I wanted to demonstrate that I can. Now you need to learn how to walk in it. Is anybody hearing me right now? I've demonstrated to you that I can. Now you have to learn to walk in it. Nehemiah chapter 7 is how to live in the city after God has redeemed it. The walls are built. The gates are in place. And now they've got to prepare themselves to live in the city of God's blessing. And chapter 7 shows us, I think, five important components in how to live in the city after God has blessed the city. Now, this may seem to be a little bit strange to you, but the first dynamic that I think we need to do when God has blessed us is we need to install a security system. We need to install a spiritual security system. We had some problems here around the building, and we couldn't get it taken care of, so we put in a security system. And to my knowledge, after we had to use it and the police got involved a couple times, the nonsense has, for the most part, stopped, as far as I know. And I don't know if you have a security system, but all of us have one in some fashion or another. How many of you lock your doors in your home? Okay, I'm going to send people over to your house right now if you don't raise your hand. How many of you lock the doors in your home? How many of you lock the doors in your car? Do not think for a minute that coming to a church parking lot is a safe place. I want to remind you, lock your car doors, hide your valuables, because people who like to steal will prey upon church parking lots. And you know what the number two target is? Gym parking lots or health club parking lots. People think those will be safe. And so they take advantage of that. So you have security systems of some sort. I've enjoyed watching the videos on getting even with porch pirates. How many know what porch pirates are? I love the guy that's putting together those loaded packages. So they steal it off the porch, take it home, open it, and it blows glitter all over their house or or a stinky gas all over their house or in their car. I love that. I just think it's great. I just wish there could be permanent dye that's sprayed all over those porch pirates. But I can't have anything left on my porch anymore without worrying that somebody will come by and steal it. We live in an era that we guard our valuables by locking the doors, by using security in some fashion or another. Now that the walls are done and the gates are in place, they don't want to go back to where they were before. And I think it's fascinating what Nehemiah does immediately in chapter 7. He establishes gates, musicians, and Levites. And let me give you one more example of why this is so important. I have a young man I've gotten to know who's a farmer in Waverly. His name is Drew Mumathai. And just this week, he posted this on Facebook. Single car rollover yesterday afternoon on 218 by Waverly right next to one of our farms. We were combining corn in the field at that time and saw cops searching for a driver down the ditch next to our standing corn. He fled the scene. Later that night, I went back to my cooler, fully stocked on the hood of my S10 in that same field, and it was gone. I guess I inadvertently aided and abetted a criminal. I hope he enjoyed it, but I really did like that cooler. (laughs) 
You can't even in a farm field leave your cooler out on the truck without it being taken away. And Nehemiah establishes some things in the very beginning of chapter 7. It tells us that he established gatekeepers, musicians, and Levites. The first three offices that were put in place were gatekeepers, musicians, and Levites. Who are the gatekeepers? They watch over who comes in and out of the city. They control the traffic and what's brought in and what goes out. Who are the musicians? They're the ones that lead in worship. Temple worship would not take place without the musicians. And the Levites, what do they do? They facilitate practical ministry. And so let me suggest in the security system, there's some components here that need to be in place. You need to guard what comes in and out of your life after the blessing of God. Because what comes in and out of your life may steal that away. You need the musicians. You need experiential worship. It's a wonderful thing to listen to music. It is a better thing to worship God while you're listening to music. Whether it's in your home or somewhere else, he's saying, guard what comes in and out of your life, experience worship, and then engage yourself in the facilitation of ministry. God expects us to be engaged in the work of the church. In other words, make sure that your spiritual life is solid. If you want to maintain it, make your spiritual life complete, whole, and solid. Then he establishes biblical leadership. And I love what he says here. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. Why? Because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful title? Yeah. To fear God more than most people do? Do you know what else matters in maintaining the blessing of God in your security system, describing the components, is that you're under spiritual covering. You're not the only authority in your life that you need. There needs to be a spiritual covering. And the goal to leadership that we all should strive for is to have integrity and fear God more than most. Those become essential components of the security system. Last thing in the security system that he describes here is in verse 3, only open the gates in broad daylight. People that love, dark, that love darkness run from the light. And he's saying, we're going to make sure that everything we do from now on is done out in the open. Are you hearing me right now? Now, I know that's kind of a busy portion, but he's putting together a security system of experiential worship, biblical authority, and work done in the daylight. If you're going to maintain a security system that protects it, then you've got to live in a way that the blessing of God that you experienced in the battle maintains your life when you're walking in the blessing. Install some kind of safety system around God's blessing. Second, verses 4 to 60. You need to implement an organizational plan, uh, a plan for growth. Here's what Scripture tells us in verse 4. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. That sounds to me like a description of COVID. <laughs> we have to have big rooms and put little, few people in, not little people, but few people in it. Um, he's saying we've got the work done now we need to be intentional about how we, how we grow the blessing of God. Intentionality is essential. So first, 
you need to secure it. And then second, you need to be intentional about how you're going to use it. We're going to get busy about the work of the kingdom. Spirituality is never accidental. It's intentional. If you want to grow in your faith, you need a plan. If you want to see God continue to work, you need purpose. There needs to be direction for your life. Our next step is we're going to fill this city up. We're going to expand the blessing of God. And here is how we're going to do it. You cannot haphazardly just attend church and expect the blessing of God to rain on you. You need to be intentional about a plan. What are you doing to fill the city? What are you doing to grow God's blessing? What are you doing to see the blessing of God expand in your life? Oh, come to church. (laughs) If you don't read your Bible from Sunday to Sunday, you're not intentional. If you don't have any time that you set apart with God, you're not being intentional. How many are hearing me? I told you it'd be a tedious journey. But I want you to walk with me because we're talking about preserving the blessing of God. You need to secure it, and then you need to be intentional about it. There needs to be purpose and direction. This is how we're going to put it to use. God blesses you for a reason. Do you know when you go through a trial and God comforts you, do you know why he comforts you? So that you can comfort others who are going through the same kind of trial that you're going through. You need to be intentional. Christians just sit. They don't have a strategy. They don't have a plan. They don't know what they're going to do with their life and wonder why it dries up. I can't give you a plan. Don't come to me and say, Pastor, what does God want to do with your life? I'll tell you what he wants you to do. He wants to sell all your, sell all your goods and give it to me. <laughs> I don't have a plan for you. That was a joke, by the way. That was joking. Intentionality. It's been said if you shoot at nothing, you'll hit it. If you don't have a plan for using the blessing of God, you're going to lose it. He gave it to you for a purpose. What are you doing with the blessing of God? That whole next section is about their organizational strategy, organized by families. Families are key to growth. This needs to be a church where we build families in America today. And our future depends not on what happens on Capitol Hill, but what happens in the cathedral of God? What are we doing to make sure we're building people up in the faith? Do you have a plan for you and your family? Do you have a personal growth track? Do you have any goals that you want to reach? Do you have any scripture that you're trying to memorize? I'm trying, we, we try to do that as a staff where we're sharing a book together and reading a book a month so that we are growing and stretching and learning. There's nowhere on this journey to stop being intentional about the development of your faith. What's your plan? I ought to be able to go around the room and say, what's your plan? What's your plan? What's your plan to be stronger a year from now than you are right now, than you are today? What's your plan to grow in your faith beyond where you are right now? What's your plan to be more effective to the kingdom? How has God blessed you, and how are you going to use that for some positive good? That's called discipleship. That's called growing in faith. That's called maturity, an organizational plan for you and your family that will put what God has blessed you with in, in motion so that the city will grow. What if we had a goal after COVID <laughs> to bring... I want to know, I, let, me, let me say it this way, let me say it this way. Pastoring my first church, 
and I'm walking in the auditorium praying for God to bring people in. And I felt like I have these times that I say God spoke to me, and I'll tell you it was clearer afterwards than it was at the time. Do you know what I mean? Afterwards you recognize it. At the time you just think you're thinking thoughts. Right. <laughs> Is that making sense to anybody? All right. And so I'm praying for God, send people. And God said, sit down, back row. Okay, so I went to the back row and sat down. He said, I want you to imagine who's going to be here tomorrow morning. This was a Saturday night. And so I looked around the room, and I could tell you, I mean, we hadn't had anybody new come in a while. It was northeast Iowa, small town. Okay. And he said, who is going to be here because you brought them? No, God, you send them. <laughs> no, who is going to be here tomorrow because you brought them and I said nobody why do you think that is because you have I haven't invited anybody I haven't been intentional about evangelism is anybody hearing me now yeah. from that moment to this I've determined that I'm going to do everything I can that there be somebody in church because I influence them or reach them what are you talking about I'm talking about being intentional with the blessing of God to grow the city so you need to make it you need to preserve it secure it and then you need to have a plan to put it to use number three is you need to inspect your own spiritual identity look at verse 61 this is it comes up again this was a big deal the following came up from the towns and names them the descendants. Verse 64, these searched for their family records but could not find them and so were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. On a regular basis now, it's growing and, and Nehemiah demands that they identify their own spiritual life. We had a discussion recently Actually, it was on Wednesday night, Romans chapter 8, about whether someone can lose their faith. And I don't believe you lose your faith the way you lose the car keys or you wake up one day and it's gone. But Scripture is clear that you can walk away from it, that you can reject it, that you can put it off from you. I think it's abundantly clear. In fact, Paul says, two believers examine yourself for what? whether you are still in the faith. Do you know it's easy to just let things slide? One of the things that we have to do every now and then is ask ourselves if we're still spiritually alive. The, listen, the longer you're a child of God, the easier it will be for you to become religious and not relationally intact. We go through the forms. We know what to do. We know how to act. We know how to behave. Examine yourself. They couldn't prove they were alive. Now, that was a different story, not physical life, but they couldn't prove that they were part of Israel. They couldn't prove that, and so they were considered unclean until they could. We need to, on a regular basis, to preserve. Ask yourself, God, am I still alive? What are the evidence of that? People will ask me sometimes, how are you doing? And I'll say, I'm going to make it. One of the things I like to say is, I'm okay. I'm upright and taking nourishment. I know I'm alive. Hello? Come on, help me this morning. I'm upright and taking nourishment. 
Do you know that you're spiritually alive? Not are you religious, not are you sympathetic, not are you supportive, but are you alive? Is there something alive on the inside of you spiritually that proves you're a child of God? What evidence can you give of that in your heritage that you are a child of God? Why is that so important with the blessing of God? Because sometimes we can mistake the blessing of God on us for the life of God in us. Those are not the same. The blessing of God on you is not the same as the life of God in you. How do we know, how do you know that you're spiritually alive? Inspect for your own personal spiritual identity. Examine yourself whether or not you're in the faith. It's the basis for spiritual community. Fellowship with those of like precious faith because who you fellowship with will shape your faith walk. The mark of the church isn't membership, it's life. It's life. Examine yourself. (laughs) Fourth, this is one of the great markers of Christian faith and it's key to preserving the blessing of God. You have to invest in ongoing ministry. I'm just gonna talk about that for a minute. Um, You're just looking at me anyway. It's not going to get any quieter. (laughs) If you're not giving, (laughs) if you're not giving to the work of the ministry, you're spiritually dead. Because one of the marks of life is giving. It's all about giving. And what it says about the people in Jerusalem, some of them gave and some of them did this and some did it another way. Here, everyone that is, in, that is present and recorded and accounted for are giving something. They take inventory of the whole company and everybody that's there and everything they have and some are giving. Givers are recognized. Here's giving, and it, and it doesn't depend on culture here. Thank you for your faithfulness for giving. We are moving ahead just like we were financially pre-COVID. You believe in that, and so this should be filled with amens because I'm not after anyone. I'm preaching to a church that believes what I'm talking about. But I want to affirm you in that. This isn't a rebuke. It's an affirmation. That when you're giving, you're demonstrating your faith and your appreciation for what God has done. We went through a hard time in the first church we pastored uh, in the 80s, the farm crisis. How many of you are old enough to remember the 80s? It's not history to you, it was life. And you remember the farm crisis. I remember farmers killing themselves. I talked to a farmer that went into the bank and they wanted to borrow money to expand their hog operation. And the banker said, you're upside down. How are we upside down? Our, our land's valued at 4,000 an acre. No, it's not. Put a line through it, change it. It's now valued at 2,000 an acre and we can call your loan in. And he's surprised why people were, were doing things like that, trying to figure out how to make it go. Tough, tough times. And our giving went like this. And I thought about that. And I looked around the church and I thought, nobody here that I know of is any worse off today 
than they were a year ago. The farm crisis was real, but not being experienced by people in our church. How many are hearing me? So why does giving drop? Because giving was connected to culture rather than scripture. And I said to them one Sunday, how many of you are financially worse off today than you were a year ago? How many of you, and no one raised their hand. So my response then was, if no one is worse off today than you were a year ago, why is our giving in decline? It means that we're afraid of the future and instead of investing in the eternal kingdom, we're setting money aside to protect us from what's happening around us. So what's happening in our culture today in some circles is people are withholding their giving because they're afraid of what's going to happen. That's not happening here, but I know of places where it is. And I'm saying to you that that is a sure way to lose the blessing of God. God does not bless people who withhold. He blesses people who give. So I'm going to tell you a story. I have permission to tell the story. I don't have permission to tell who. So don't ask me who and don't try to figure it out um, because God will plug your ears or do something. (laughs) At the beginning of this year, a family in our church approached me and said, God (laughs) has challenged us to match the churches. And I said this at the time we took pledges last November has challenged us to match missions dollars, dollar for dollar. We will match everything that comes in. And they made that pledge pre-COVID. Now, how much is that? I don't mind telling you because I wish the number were higher, but we give about $18,000 a month to missions. That means one family in our church was gonna match that with $18,000 a month. Are you hearing me now? Oh, all of a sudden people are listening. Yeah, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Have they done it? Yes. What's happened? What do you think has happened? Their business has supernaturally and exponentially exploded in a time of crisis. Come on, let me hear your hands now. That's what God does. That is what God does. If you want to preserve the blessing of God in your life, then give a little more. Sing a little louder. Dance a little harder. Shout a little longer. Whatever you're going to do, give a little greater and watch what God will do. When the work was done, when the work was done, they didn't stop giving. They kept giving because there was more work to be done. Invest in ongoing ministry. That's where the blessing and favor of God will be found. Everything in faith in Scripture is built around giving. It's built around giving. Don't, please, don't let the pressures of a culture affect what you do for the kingdom. I've, been tr- I've, I've really been trying to not say this, but I, I'm going to throw it in here because it makes sense. I don't know what's going to happen in this upcoming election. 
But I do want to say something this morning about the election because if you're a believer, you need to vote. You need to be engaged in the process, and here's why. The church will prosper no matter who is elected. But the difference will be, do you want to see the church prosper in cultural favor or under cultural fire? If I have a choice, I'm going to pray for God's favor. Knowing that we will prosper under fire. So then what happens if the election goes a certain direction and we find out that the culture of the world and the political climate has become more intense against the church? What then? We work harder and we give more. You say, well, I don't know. You know, we could, we could go into an, an inflationary climb. We could experience a greater tax rate and all the things that are being said. We could lose our insurance. What are we going to do then? Have you listened to the fear-mongering that's going on on both sides of the political spectrum today? I'm convinced that the day after the election, the whole world is going to blow up and we're all going to be dead if you believe what everybody is saying. However, I'm saying to you that our mindset has to be, I'm going through with Jesus. I'm going all the way. It doesn't matter. I'd rather live under favor, but I'm not going to stop giving. I'm not going to stop investing. I'll do whatever it takes to keep spiritual life alive because the church will be alive on December 1st and January 1st and February 1st until Jesus comes because God's people know how to preserve the blessing of God. We know how to preserve it. We do it by giving. Even when the culture is negatively impacting us. <laughs> I've had people ask me, but pastor, I'm on a fixed income. Well, if your income is fixed, you need the fixer. You get the fixer by giving. Come on, God can do more with what you have than you can. Do you believe that? Do you tell people who are on a fixed income to give? Yes, because I want them to be blessed, and I don't see any other way in Scripture for that to happen. If you're going to preserve, how many are hearing me? If you want to preserve the blessing of God, then you need to live in an abundance mentality, in a giving mentality, in a generous mentality, because that's where the blessing of God flows. Fifth. And it all comes down to this. You need to integrate into the community. The last verse of the chapter. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled into their own towns. Why does God bless the church? Why should we redeem the city so we can live with people and influence them for the kingdom. God has you where he wants you to. I don't care if you're planning to move, if you have dreams of a bigger house or a new location. He has you where he has you right now to settle into the city. So what does that mean? It means that we can't live Christian faith 
afraid of the city. We can't live Christian faith fighting the city. We need to get involved in the city. Settling there means to abide, to become a part of what's happening, to invest our lives, to give into what's happening in the lives around us. So he's saying the work is done, the walls are built, the gates are in place. We've done what we need to do to preserve. Now, if you want to retain the blessing, go live in your city. <laughs> this can't be all we're doing. It, it, it can't be. Hunker down in my house, lock the doors, close my blinds, play Christian music, watch Christian television, read Christian books, and stay safe, and then come to church on Sunday. No, you need to settle down in the city. <laughs> that left-wing radical homosexual that leave, lives next door to you needs to feel the love of Jesus. That's why you're there. And that's why I've said to not let your political posturing put you in a place that you can't present the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we have to settle in the city. Is anyone hearing me? We need to settle in the city. We're not to be salt and light in the church. We're to be salt and light in the world. We're to engage the people that are around us for the building of the kingdom and said now Jerusalem is secure the walls are built now go home and live there this is going to sound a little strange to you and I haven't done this for a while probably should do it again but for a while previous pastorate we would take the church out in prayer walks we've done it a couple times here and I was astounded by two things what's a prayer walk you just walk your neighborhood you begin to pray for the houses around you and two things struck me, how little I knew about my neighborhood. That isn't right. Hello? It's not right. How little I knew. And second, how much God showed me as I walked from house to house. I don't mean their names, you know, but I could sense how he wanted me to pray that day over that house or over this place as I walked around. And so if you're going to pray effectively, you need to get to know some of your neighbors. And that's hard today. It's hard today because we have, uh, we've done everything we can to break down. We were quarantined before there was COVID from our neighbors. One of the things that killed evangelism were garage door openers and air conditioning. Does anybody remember life before air conditioning and garage doors, openers? What happened? People sat on their front porch. They didn't have a deck. They talked to people as they went by. They interacted with their neighbors. People knew each other. And today, I don't have to see anybody ever. I pull in my street, raise the garage door, pull in, shut the garage door down, go in the house, and enjoy my life. And frankly, life is sometimes a lot easier to enjoy if I don't have to interact with people. Nehemiah is saying, we can't live that way. You got to settle down in your city. Now, it's still hard. People don't want to interact. I've tried to interact with some of the neighbors. In fact, one of the best um, interactions I had with our neighbors was when I ran over my kids' 
grandkids' electric motorcycle. I thought something was wrong with my transmission, and so I hit the gas. The front end started to bounce. What I didn't realize is while I was backing out of the garage, the bumper had hooked on that little motorcycle, battery-operated motorcycle, and it was making weird noises, and I jumped over it, and it bounced over top of the frame, and I couldn't get it out. And I'm laying there on my back trying to rock the pickup front so I can pull that thing out. And immediately the neighbors came out. I met people I'd never known. I'm going to get another motorcycle run over it so I can meet them again. <laughs> they were right there to help. And you know what it was amazing to me? Nobody walked up to me and said, how did you do this? Right. No one said, how stupid are you? <laughs> Nobody said, you made this mess, you fix it. Yeah. Is anybody hearing me now? Yeah. They saw a problem and they stepped up to help. Isn't that who we should be? Yeah. Isn't that who we should be? When Derecho went through, Durango, whatever it was, went through. I like Durango better. When that went through, neighbors across the street, one of their trees was broken off. I went over to help them. Do you know what I discovered when I talked to them? That that tree they planted in their front yard was in memory of an adult daughter who had died. You don't find that with air conditioning garage door openers. You find that in the front yard. I'm just saying, we need to settle down in the city. You want to preserve the blessing? Find a way to get involved. We were isolated from people long before COVID. And so now it's time for us to reach out and understand that the isolation we're experiencing in the church is the isolation we've experienced in the culture for a long time. Let's not be as afraid of sinners as we are people who have COVID. Come on, walk with me right now. I'm telling you how to preserve the blessing of God. You preserve it by settling down in the city. I, I thought about our outreach, and we're going to have some fun. I mean, I think we all agree it's time to have some fun. In fact, next week, I'm so excited. We're getting out the T-shirt cannon. How many have seen our T-shirt cannon? I can bounce a t-shirt off the balcony back wall. That thing will, will do damage if you're not careful with that. And if I thought of this, I'd have done something different with our masks that we'll wear on Halloween that just say hashtag we are Berean. I wish I'd thought to put underneath that hashtag we'll find a way. We'll find a way to celebrate. We'll find a way to integrate. We'll find a way to serve. Yes, it's different, but different doesn't mean we can't. Come on. We need to settle down in the city and walk alongside people who are suffering. And I understand it is different, and I'm not asking you to disregard it, but I'm asking you to not isolate from the city, but settle down in the city. So, Pastor Nathan, as you come, how do we settle how do we preserve the blessing of God? Let me put it to you in five simple ingredients. Number one, when God has blessed your life, you need to protect the win. You need to protect it. Whatever you need to do to protect it. Number two, you need to put it to intentional use. Number three, you need to examine your own heart. Number four, you need to keep giving financially. And number five, you need to love your neighbor. 
That's how you preserve the blessing of God. That's not in your notes. I'm just going to give it to you one more time. Simplified version. When God has blessed you, protect it. When God has blessed you, put it to intentional use. When God has blessed you, examine the state of your own heart. When God has blessed you, give financially. And when God has blessed you, love your neighbors. And you will preserve the blessing of God on your life. Let's stand together. And could we just close this service by giving him some praise and worship? How many of you have had in your life, going back to the original video, how many of you have had a but God moment? Something happened, but God showed up. Something was going the wrong way, but God showed up. I've heard stories all over this congregation of but God moments. And if you've had one, and we all have, I want you just to thank him right now for the but God moments that he showed up in your life. Let's magnify Jesus together today. But the king of my heart be the mountain where I run fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. Say, you are good. Good. 